You guys stand with me. We'll worship the Lord. Cause you stood before creation, eternity in your hands. You spoke the So now to stand, you stood before my failures and carried the cross for my sin. My sin weighed upon your shoulders. My soul now to stand. What can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. So I'll walk upon salvation. Spirit alive in me, my life to declare your promise, my soul now to stand. So what can I say? What can I do? Offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. So what can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, oh So I'll stand with arms high and high. 
not abandoned in all one who gave it all so i'll stand my soul lord to you surrender all i am is yours singing all i am is yours sorry guys This is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. Children are dismissed to Sunday school. Guys, would you find your seat? We'll continue worshiping the Lord this morning.
nothing compares to the promise I have in you. So my Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, thy wants and praise, the wonders of your before you and um, we open our Bibles, Father, that we would come expecting to hear from you, Lord. Thank you that you are in this place and want to speak to us. Lord, I pray you'd open our eyes, open our ears, Lord, and that we would worship you in, in the reading of your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You can sit down. Hi. Find yourself a seat and Pass your babies around, it seems. That's fun, too. And uh, we're going to use a Bible in a little bit. And if you would like a hard copy that doesn't shine blue light in your eyes and keep you awake, raise your hand, and, and our fantastic-looking ushers will put a Bible in that hand. If you don't have one and you need one, keep it. It's not stealing if I tell you you can keep it. So please feel free. Bibles, Bibles for everyone. While we're doing that, um, let me introduce myself. My name is Brad. Hi. <laughs> As you can tell, I'm very excited to be here this morning. I'm excited to be with you. Uh, I am one of the elders here. If you're not familiar with Churchy Speak, uh, elder basically just means that I'm one of the pastors, but I don't get paid. And instead, I work another job. And I'm completely 100% okay with that. Please, that's not a secret way of saying, please pay me on your way out or something like that. Don't. Don't do it. I'm just going to put it right back in the offering box or just put it there to begin with. Uh, I am so glad to be able to share a message with you this morning. Uh, but before we get to that, we have a couple of announcements. First, uh, in a room that's filled with this, there's the possibility that this is your first time here. And if so, we're so glad you're here. Good news is we are not going to embarrass you in any way, shape, or form, make you raise your hand, jump up, introduce yourself, and tell us your favorite color. None of those are our traditions here. Instead... Uh, you, when you heard me say good news, you might think that here comes the bad news. No, it, it's even better news instead. All we would ask is that if this is your first time, if you could go when, you are, when you're done with the service, head out those doors and kind of veer off to the right. There's a counter there and we've got a bunch of info about our church. And if you tell them, hey, this is my first time here, they're going to say, hey, we're so glad. No confetti, no flashing lights, nothing like that. New guy, new guy, new guy. Nothing like that. Instead, it's just a, hey, here's a little gift for coming and we hope that you come back. So please do that if that's your first time, if this is your first time. Also, if you head back there, if it's not your first time, you're going to find a ton of different info, info or informative, there it is, informative uh, areas. This is failing miserably. Obviously, I didn't prepare for uh, <laughs> this stuff, and this thing is going to destroy my life. So I'm going to fix it now in hopes that you don't have to hear me breathe like a dragon the whole time. Um. Info. There's info at the info booth. That's why we call it the info booth. And back there, 
Uh, you'll find some information about a series that we have coming up in February called Financial Peace. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, yep, there it is. Financial peace essentially is a response to the fact, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but people in the world are a little bit confused about how to use their money. And so when I say confused, I'm not talking about how to invest in the stock market. I'm talking about how to use this fantastic resource that God gives us in our money in a way that not only keeps us out of debt, but also brings him glory and notoriety to his name. If you think you could benefit at all from that, the signups are in that info that back there. We're going to do like a multi-week seminar on that. Or Wayne is in here. Ray, wave your hand at Wayne. Everybody Everybody, feast your eyes on, on the specter that is Wayne Hogue. And his wife, his beautiful wife, is, his, is joining us this morning, which is a huge praise in and of itself. But don't talk to her. Talk to Wayne about financial peace. <laughs> talk to her about how glad you are to see her smiling face. Um, financial peace is that. Lastly, for announcements, Laura, if you would please join me up here, I will give you this microphone, which hopefully will not breathe like a dragon for you. Thank you. Yeah. Good morning, church. I'm just as excited as Brad to be here. I love church. Anyway, if you would look in your bulletin, you see this little thing that says Genesis in the middle. That's what I'm going to talk to you about. Um, so it's a Bible study for women. I teach on Tuesday mornings. We meet next door in Ray Hall. Um, we're going to start back up again on January 7th. Um, so that's just a couple Tuesdays from now. And we are working on the book of Genesis. Um, if you're worried, you see that it says part two up there. You're like, oh, I didn't do part one. This isn't for me. Um, that's not true. The entire Bible is for you at any time. Um, and I will give you a really good recap of Genesis 1 through 11 if you're worried about that. Um, one important note is that we're going to start at 9 a.m. instead of 9.30 now. So we're going to have um, 9 to 11 on Tuesdays next door. We do have childcare available, which is great for young moms like me. So you can come, have a place to study the word um, with fellow women and not worry about your kids while you're doing so. Um, I've told you this many times before, and I'm going to tell you again. One of my favorite parts about this Bible study is the women who are there. Um, we are there for each other. We have fellowship. We have encouragement for each other. We share prayer requests. Um, and there are women there who have been Christians for probably over 50 years. And there are women there who have been Christians for probably less than a year. Um, so we all bring something different to the table. And it's fun. And it's encouraging. And we get to dive into the word together. Um, so why Genesis? Um, my um, initial thought when I thought, um, of picking Genesis was just that it would be fun and there's lots of good stuff in there. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all those people are who we're going to talk about. Um, but I've realized as I've been studying it in depth that there is so much more. Um, there are so many answers to questions you ask yourself, like, why am I here? Why did God create us? Um, and I want to tell you that God created you for his glory. Um, your purpose is to announce his glory at every turn in your life. Um, the Lord himself is your origin, and in him you should find your identity. Um, just one example from last time around, we looked at the story of Noah and the flood. Um, and he gives Noah this wonderful promise of placing the rainbow in the sky, which you're probably all familiar with. Um, but it's cool to get to look at what it really means. God is putting that bow in the sky saying he is laying down arms that he is never again going to destroy the world with a flood like that. And the really cool part is that this is a foreshadowing of what Jesus does for us. Um, when Jesus came, the flood of God's wrath was poured out on him. It was diverted from you and from me. And we learned through Jesus that never again will God pour out his wrath on those that are in Jesus. Um, Jesus himself said on the cross, it is finished. Um, so we don't only get to look at these really cool stories of the people of old in the book of Genesis, but over and over and over again, we get to see how it foreshadows the life and work of Jesus and what he's done for us. So um, if you want to find out more, come talk to me after the service. Um, this is the book we're using. It's in the bookstore. If you want to grab it, it's called God of the Covenant. Um, also, Courtney Dyer, who's in the sound booth, um, you can probably find her after the service, and she could answer any questions for you also. Thank you. Okay. Announcement's over. Uh, I'm going to pray to start, uh, but one of the things that I like to do uh, before I pray is I like to kind of sit silently 
Um, so I'm telling you this because I'm going to do that, and it might be a little awkward that when I say let's pray and I don't start talking. Don't worry. Use that time. Try to see if you can maybe clear out a little bit of the noise from your life and face your God. God, I hear happy baby noises, and that makes me happy. Because in as much as I'm going to flail here for 30 minutes and act like I have something intelligent to say, it is only by your spirit that anything that I could provide would bring joy to your heart. And so we ask that that would occur, that your spirit would be present, and that as we make our happy noises of gratitude to you for your mercy, and your love. May we be filled with your truth and all the more emboldened to reflect you well to this world. Amen. So, I don't know if you know this, but when Jesse asked me to speak, and I'm very excited that he did, uh, because number one, I like to speak. Number two, it gave him an opportunity to kind of take some time to celebrate Christmas with his family without having to kind of prepare message time, and he gave me enough of a heads up that I could do the same, so everybody wins. And, and yet, when I realized when he asked me to speak that this would be the last opportunity for us to get together in the year 2019, which may sound very blah to you. <laughs> Eloquence, that's why he chose me to speak. It, it may not sound very exciting, but I, I continue to be struck more and more by the, the reality of what's, what's occurring. I mean, when, when your kids and the kids that you see running around this church, when they think about the 20s, they're not going to think about like flapper girls doing the Charleston anymore. Like they're thinking a completely different thing about the 20s and will for the rest of their life than you will. We, we're not only leaving this year, we're leaving a decade. And in as much as I am completely disappointed that there is not flying cars or some type of vacuum tube system that would get me to work, that's what I kind of envisioned it would be like, um, we have, I have the opportunity of trying to share something with you as kind of the last word from 2019, which seemed to me and struck me as a very big responsibility. Probably it strikes me bigger than it does to you, but nonetheless, I, I sat there going, what, what is it that God would want to share as the last week of 2019, looking in the face of a new decade? And then what rose within me is my deep sense of responsibility as a dad and as a man, to tell dad jokes. And I knew that I must do something to refer to the fact that our message must be about having 2020 vision. Huh? Huh? See what I did there? You like that, don't you? You do. Don't act like you don't. But in all seriousness, it's not just because my eye doctor is here. But in, instead, I want to... I want to kind of bring you into a little bit of what God has been doing in my heart and mind in order that hopefully we might all leave here with a little bit of a clearer vision. I've had multiple conversations in the last, in the last month, and I apologize um, for uh, anybody listening to this that may have contributed to this and that your conversation became fodder for the message. But nonetheless, the story kind of unravels and, and I have to pull from those components because I, I noticed that whenever I was talking to people that have not yet made a, a commitment to Christ, and I say it that way because I have faith that they will, but they had not yet made a commitment to Christ and yet I continued to hear some of the same speed bumps or roadblocks in their relationship with God. And I felt like if only in response to those, they could see with more clarity, those roadblocks wouldn't be there. The two roadblocks that, that popped up multiple times in multiple conversations with great people here in town. The first one was people seem to be struggling with this view that Jesus is somehow a really great guy. Not wrong. 
but that that's all he was. He was a really great guy that was maybe a really good moral teacher, but probably not anything more than that. That seems to be in the hearts and minds of the people of our town. I don't know if you've heard your friends say that or your family say that. But the other blockade that seemed to continue to pop up in conversations was, Brad, I can't believe Christianity because it has led to a host of human failures in the name of Jesus. Christians don't seem any different. And at times they've been worse than the rest of the people. And that makes it difficult for people to believe that it's true. Right? Like, this church in which you sit right now, this church would be absolutely perfect if you didn't come. Think about that. (laughs) Christians have a problem. It's not necessarily a new problem, and that's what I'm going to try to point out to you, is that in both of these objections, neither of them are, are brand new objections. They've both been around for a very long time, and I want to make sure that we have a clear vision, not just of how to respond to those things, but that you have a clear vision for yourself. The first objection that Jesus might just be a normal moral teacher. I didn't know that Wayne talked about this last week. He shared with me after the service that he did. So if this is repeat, fine. That's so you can get a refund on your way out the door. But uh, <laughs> yeah, reiteration. Sometimes repetition is necessary. Some of us don't learn very quickly. You know, I want to read a passage to you. Um, there's this guy, his friends called him Jack because nobody wanted to call him Clive. But his name was, was C.S. Lewis. You may have heard that name before. And you have to bear in mind that it's been, it, it's literally been over a hundred years since C.S. Lewis has been writing. The, the article from which I want to read to you um, was written 70 years ago. And he wrote an article entitled, What Are We to Make of Jesus Christ? Trying to refer to this very idea that was still just as present in his day, that Jesus is somehow this nice guy moral teacher, and nothing more than that. Instead of trying to list out for you the reasons why I think that that's false, I think what I'm going to do is just read from his article. I like how he says it. There is no parallel in other religions. If you had gone to Buddha and asked him, are you the son of Brahma? He would have said, my son, you are still in the veil of illusion. If you had gone to Socrates and asked, are you Zeus? He would have laughed at you. This is my favorite part. If you had gone to Muhammad and asked, are you Allah? First, he would have torn his clothing. Then, he would have cut your head off. Facts. Look at history. If you had asked Confucius, are you heaven? I think you would have probably replied, remarks which are not in accordance with nature are in bad taste. The idea of a great moral teacher saying what Christ said is out of the question. In my opinion, the only person who can say that sort of thing is either God or a complete lunatic suffering from that form of delusion which undermines the whole mind of man. Later in the article, he then answers his own question. What are we to make of Christ? There's no question of what we can make of him. It is entirely a question of what he intends to make of us. You must simply accept or reject the story. You see, the thing about Jesus Christ is that those people who actually listened to him and actually were there standing when he was talking, no one standing there thought that Jesus was just some moral teacher on par with everyone else. They might have rejected him. They might have thought that he was crazy. They might have ignored him. They might have have believed false things, but nobody could hear the things that he was saying and think that this guy was just planning on being a moral teacher. Let we not forget the fact that Jesus was crucified, not by religious people, but by secular people. The problem for which Jesus was crucified was not the fact that he was claiming to be God, but they thought he was some type of revolutionary that was changing the very fabric of society. My friends, normal moral teachers don't try to do that. It was different with Jesus. 
You see, Jesus was not some smooth-skinned European, blue-eyed, gentrified, docile, some ethics teacher that you can ignore his homework. With his calloused hands, he threw children in the air, making them squeal with delight, and he threw tables to the ground, making the religious crooks squeal in fear. He was not safe, but he is good. And we cannot afford to lose sight of who he really is. But to the second point, and where I want to spend the majority of our time, what of the followers? There is no question that many who have claimed the name of Christ have lived out of step with him. And it has been this way since Jesus has begun, since Jesus begun speaking. I want to take you to a passage of scripture where Jesus directly addressed this because it's still just as relevant for us today as it was the moment that he uttered it. Open your Bibles to Luke 6. In Luke 6, what you're going to find, theologians and biblical uh, scholars refer to this as the Sermon on the Plain. And essentially, uh, it's very similar to the more commonly referred to sermon, the Sermon on the Mountain. There's a lot of similarity between the two, but most theologians believe that this was two separate moments in which Jesus was sharing with a variety of people by this point who had come to see the show. There are, there are a variety of reasons why people may have been there. And yet Jesus was recognizing from the outset that there were people who were there that were going to try to align themselves with him, that were going to say, I claim the name of Jesus and will follow him wherever. We're going to read this chapter a little bit backwards in that we're going to start near the end and then go back to the middle. But I want to start near the end because as I listen to my friends say over and over that one of the main reasons why they have a hard time believing in Christianity is Christians. This verse swims into my mind. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I tell you? Just stop. Just stop. Right? I feel like I could just stop there. We could be done. I want to also take this moment because it's about to get a little heavy in here. And when I say a little heavy, I'm just be, I'm exaggerating. It's not little. It's going to get heavy in here. But it, I don't stand on this platform because I'm better than you, different than you, or because it helps me point down more. When I first wrote the very things that I'm about to share with you after this phrase, I wrote it in almost a fury, an uncontrolled fury, not, not an anger type of fury. It came out just like, I don't know if any of you are writers, but it just came out fast, uncontrollable. And immediately, as soon as I was done reading it, I wept. And it's happening again. <laughs> I thought I could not do it this service. Because I fall so short of this. And inasmuch as it would seem so ugly for me to be, to, to be the type of speaker this morning that would say, hey, we need to go out here and do what I say but not what I do, I need to also be honest and say, I stink at this. We're in the same boat. But nonetheless, why would we call him Lord, Lord and not do what he says? It's blocking the rest of the world from seeing how great Jesus is. I am. That's how I feel. That word Lord, in Greek it's kurios, and kurios means master. Kurios means uh, the, the one in my life to whom I must pay the most respect and give the most attention, this, you, are, you are the critical point upon which the entirety of my life balances. And if you, my friends, will call Jesus Lord with me this morning, we have to bear in mind that Jesus knew from the beginning that we're not very good at doing what he tells us to do. Look at the next verse 
as we're striving to try to understand the clips and get some clarity of what Jesus would tell us. Jesus has clear expectations. And I'm gonna read this verse really slowly because we have a tendency, I have a tendency to pass it over for what follows it. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. And then Jesus uses the analogy you may have heard before of the wise man who built his house upon the rock and the storms came, the storm of life came, and his house stood firm. And then the foolish man who built his house on the sand and the storm came and wiped the entire thing out. I have a tendency to jump straight to the analogy and forget that that analogy serves the purpose of explaining verse 47. Slow down. And look at the verbs with me. Everyone who comes to me. Stop there and think about it. Friends, we have some responsibility. Yes, our God is in relentless pursuit, saving the world, working through a much larger universal story than you and I have a tendency to ever pay attention to. And he is in that pursuit, but he places upon us some responsibility of coming to him as well. If we are to call him Lord and to do what he would tell us, first, we have to actually put out the effort to pursue him. Next verb. And hears my words. Those of you that have listened to Jesus' words in some other, pa- some other passages of Scripture, Jesus had this phrase, he who has ears to hear, what? Let him hear. Friends, like I said before, the world is a noisy place, isn't it? Noisy, noisy. And sometimes the noise has grown so loud and so monotonous that we don't even realize that we don't e- we're not listening to anything anymore. It's just... It's attacking us instead. Jesus, when he would speak, would say, hey, 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 listen. If you want to be able to hear this stuff, you've got to pay attention to your listening. Listening is not a passive activity. Hearing, hearing what Jesus has to say to you, that's an active activity. So not only do we have to come to him, but we have to hear his words. Here's the problem, friends, or another problem, if we needed more on our list. And what? What's the next verb? Does them. Does them. That means that there's stuff that we have to do. Now, put it on pause for a moment. Because there would be a way of misunderstanding what I'm sharing with you right now and what I'm going to go on sharing with you. There would be a way of misunderstanding that somehow what I'm, what I'm trying to share with you is a list of things that you've got to do in order to keep God loving you. That is a lie. Not what I'm trying to tell you. That would be heresy. If I was saying that, please do us all a favor, throw a boot at me and drag me out the doors. Not what I'm saying. However, The phrase that I love stealing from Wayne is you can fall off the horse both ways. Sometimes we have a tendency to forget that because we are so covered in God's love and we don't have to earn it, that doesn't mean that we don't have any responsibilities, that Jesus doesn't have any expectations. Let me share with you a phrase that a man who, in a way, kind of mentored me, though he didn't know that he was doing it, but had profound effect on my life as I read his works A man by the name of Dallas Willard once said, grace, you know that grace for by what you've been saved? Grace, church is proactive, don't be afraid. For by what you've been saved? Grace, there we go. For by grace you've been saved, what Dallas Willard said is, you need to understand grace. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. I'm going to give that to you again because it's better than anything else that I have to offer you. Grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. Friends, we are saved by grace and none, none of what I'm sharing with you this morning is going to make God love you anymore. None of your failures to do the things that I'm sharing with you this morning is going to make God love you any less. The conversation that we're having is not about God's love for you. 
the conversation that we're having is how can we join with God in his subversive saving mission of the world outside these doors? And if we are going to be effective, we have to recognize that there are things that we must do. If we are going to call Jesus our Lord, we've got to do what he says. Jesus had crowds of people around him for a variety of reasons, which I've said to you before. Some of them, some of them just wanted to see the sideshow, right? There's no TV on at this point. The, somebody's coming through. He's attracting crowds. Let's go see what's going on. Some of them wanted a medical miracle, right? You remember the story of the woman just grasping to try to touch the hem of Jesus' cloak that she might be healed, and people begging Jesus to heal their children, Some wanted to join a revolution that they misunderstood because Jesus was indeed a revolutionary just of a whole different sort than people were expecting. Different message for a different time. But as Jesus saw all these people coming for different reasons, he had this tendency of saying things in a way to try to make them stop and think. Luke 14 records one of them that you can read at another time where he welcomed people to come but encouraged them, you need to count the cost. You need to know what it is to follow me. You need to have that clear vision of who I am and what I'm about and what it means to be my follower. What is that cost? You're going to have the responsibility of reflecting the radical nature of your master. To see Jesus for who he really is and to place into action what he taught. Just in this Luke 6 passage alone, I want to go back and look at a few of these things that he actually taught just so that we can be beware of that which our master would have us put into action. You'll notice that when we read these things, that Jesus, uh, there's no other word for it other than radical. Uh, Radical is a cheapened word for me because in the 90s, radical became, became associated with like, neon colors and vision skateboards and red, you know, that type of stuff. But radical means completely contrary to everything that you might expect from your culture and from the people in it. Look at the radical forgiveness that pops up here in verse 27. Just look back at verse 27. But I say to you who, what? Here telling us, pay attention. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. For one who takes away your cloak, your Patagonia puffy, Don't withhold that Patagonia zip-up that you got underneath it. Roughly speaking, what he said. Give to everyone who begs from you. From one who takes away your goods, don't demand it back. Give me back my stuff. As you wish that others would do to you, so do it to them. I'm going to stop there, although we're going to read a little bit more in a moment. But look at the radical nature of what Jesus taught and think of how different that is contrasted with what most people's version of Christianity is, which I can give no other word to other than nice. Nice is not bad. Don't get me wrong. Nice is great. Be nice. I'm not saying don't be nice. Be nice. By all means, be nice. But there's plenty of nice people out there Isn't there? Plenty of people that don't follow Christ and they're nice enough. Following Jesus means so much more than being nice. Not only do we look at the radical nature of forgiveness, the radical nature of giving, but let me even just draw your attention to the radical action that he shares with you in the verse you're probably most familiar with, but I want you to see it with new eyes. Look at verse 31. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you have fallen into the same pitfall that I have, 
your heretical interpretation of this verse has become much closer to, hey, whatever it is that I don't want you doing to me, I'm going to make sure I don't do it to you. That's much more the way that I have come to read this verse. I'm going to make sure that if it's something that I don't want you to do to me, I'm not going to do it to you. Now, is that necessarily a bad thing? No, thank you for answering. Remember, not spectator sport. No, it's not. But is that what Jesus says? No. Let's look again. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. My friends, it's not a very common objection that's shared with me, but it is an objection that people have a tendency to not quite understand this whole like, these demonic movies where people's heads are spinning and projectile vomit is happening and people are floating and, and getting thrown against the wall. I'm here to tell you that missionaries working in others, other cultures will tell you that that stuff is actually still occurring, but it doesn't seem to happen in America very often. And I'll tell you why. Because our enemy is far wiser and far smarter that all he really has to do is to get you to focus on you. And that's it. Because if I can just get you to focus on you, you are useless. Yay! That's it. Think about it. How often you go through the day. How often I go through the day thinking, oh, it bothers me that that person said that. Oh, how dare you do that to me? Oh, I kind of like this. I don't like that. I want this, but I don't want that. I, 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 I. I'm not telling you that I is inherently wrong, but think of how radical of a shift of your week, of your life, of our culture would be, even if none of these other verses existed. And we just, instead of taking the eyes off of I, and instead went, I wonder what that person needs right now. I wonder what it is that God wants to do with you. I wonder how I could be of a greater service to you right now. Think of how that would change everything. And I'll tell you, if we were to employ that well, we would be far more than just nice people. There would be something weird about those people. Something completely countercultural. Something that is so deeply subversive that it takes this brilliant tactic of our enemy and goes beneath it and undoes it. That which you wish that others would do to you, do that. Be proactive about the other and not yourself. That's radical action. Let's keep reading. 32. This is Jesus' way of saying something that I said earlier, but Jesus said it better in first, so he wins. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Sinners do the same thing. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Notice Jesus repeats himself here, the first part of 35. If Jesus repeats himself, you probably should pay attention. But love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return. And look what happens. Your reward will be great. Brad, what if people take advantage of me because I'm doing all of these things? They will. They will. Sorry. I got to remind myself of that on a daily basis. They are going to take advantage of you. They took advantage of Jesus. They still take advantage of the grace of God on a daily basis. You will. But your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High. You will reflect the God of the universe. You will 
be the image bearer that you were intended to be to this world that has to have the image of God because they don't know what they're looking at anymore. You get to reflect the Most High because he's the type of person who's kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Do you see it? The reason why the world doesn't believe Christians is because they don't act like Christians. There are people out there, even in this room, who call themselves Christians, but their view of Jesus is this nice, loving, moral teacher, and they leave out the dangerous parts. Jesus wasn't killed for being nice. He was crucified as a radical. In that article that I read to you from Lewis, he also wrote this. Jesus produced mainly three effects in the people that were listening to him. Hatred, terror, or adoration. There was no trace of people expressing mild approval. You can't keep seeing this with your 2050 vision. We need to see what people were seeing when they saw the real Jesus. We need to listen to what this real Jesus was saying. People are rejecting Christ because his followers don't act like his followers. We're calling Jesus Lord, but then treating him like some dusty book that we can leave on a shelf only to pull it out on Sunday mornings. Jesus is calling us to something far more radical. To the subversion of an enemy. Not by guns or tanks or violent coups. Through radical forgiveness. Through radical action. All of it being done in the name of Jesus. As we look ahead to this next year, as we look ahead to this next decade, Let's make sure that we're seeing things clearly. As the band comes up to respond to our God, I know that we have a tendency sometimes to look at this and to fall in one of two camps. Both of them are true. In one camp, hopefully you have seen that you've probably made some mistakes. If you haven't seen that, rewind the tape, play it again, you have. Trust me. We have made mistakes. And it's easy to think about and to only think about the darkness that is the human soul. That is true. But at the same time, on the opposite end of the spectrum, what is also true is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you have failed and you will fail. But nonetheless, his love for you will not change. How effective you will be at reflecting him, that's what we've been talking about. And I beg you, join with me in praying. In a moment, we'll be silent again to kind of process whatever needs to be processed. But pr let's pray together that by his spirit, we can be people who call Jesus Lord and do what he says. Let's pray. God, we are ugly and you are beautiful. But we praise you because we know now for those of us that have decided to follow Christ that we are now in you and as that we now are your beauty bearers. It's not fair. But it's great and we thank you for it. Oh God, grant us the power 
to be the type of people who do what you say. Jesus, help us to not bring discredit to your name. And yet, thank you for the forgiveness that is already waiting in the wings for when we mess it up. But Holy Spirit, please empower us to be the type of people that give the God of the universe the great name that he deserves. May we praise you, not just with our songs, but with our actions and our love for both friend and enemy. We give ourselves to you. Amen. A thousand times I fail, still your mercy remains. And should I stumble again, still I'm caught in your grace. Everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending, your glory goes beyond all faith.